All right, guys. Uh, thanks for coming on to uh, our new uh, podcast here. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about uh, uh, Wonder Woman issue eight. Uh, m mainly we're going to talk about the change, uh, to her skirt. And I really think that this is a, uh, uh, an annoying thing that DC did. Uh, it, they, they made it longer and, uh, you know, I really don't understand that decision whatsoever. Uh, in fact, I'm going to be tearing up, uh, my issue personally, uh, and then, uh, I'll be videotaping it and posting it on YouTube. Uh, you'll, you'll see it on my, my Twitter account as well. Uh, 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 as an act of protest. I mean, granted, we already bought the issue and we'll probably buy next week's issue too. I mean, we're not gonna, we're not gonna take it off our pull list. I mean, it's, it's, it's DC. I mean, it's, you, you don't do that. And, uh, I have nothing else to, to live for. So, uh, so, uh, yeah, we're going to be doing that. And, uh, uh, the, the next episode, we're going to be, uh, uh, interviewing, uh, the greatest, uh, creative voice, uh, uh, in our time, uh, making comics, uh, right now. Uh, uh, literally, uh, any, uh, white guy that, uh, 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 does Spider-Man. Uh, so anyway, uh, yeah, so, uh, uh, real quick, uh, we're gonna go ahead and intro, uh, intro here, our, our first guest, uh, Cam Del Rosaroia. I believe I said that right. Del Rosario. Is that but, right? Uh, close enough. Okay. Yeah. Uh, how are you doing, Cam? I'm here, man. How are you? Uh, seems like you've got, uh, some strong thoughts on that Wonder Woman issue. I haven't read it yet. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm really surprised that they haven't uh, I don't know made her uh, uh, black and trans or you know whatever those SJWs want, but you know, uh, it, it is what it is. Um, so uh, what what do you do? So what what are your comics like? Um, my comics are uh, I guess people say they're slice of life. I don't know what they are. I just make them personally. I just kind of make what I want to at that moment, but uh, I don't really have a way to describe them. Uh, so like uh are you doing uh are is is your comic book about a crime fighter uh is he an anti-hero uh 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 is does he have powers of any kind but my comics are like uh if the anti-hero is outside saving shit my comics are what people that are completely unrelated to the issue are doing while they're eating food uh kind of stay away from that whole genre specifically not that i have anything against it but you know it's just not my not what I want to make currently. I see. Well, that's the, uh, that's, that sounds really, um, dude, hang on. Uh, <laughs> we we're have to cut this. Like, I didn't realize you were doing this in character. So I was not prepared for this at all. <laughs> like, this is like, I'm trying not to fucking laugh right now. <laughs> <laughs> Cam, uh, this is our first episode of our new little show we're doing. It's called uh, Gutter Boys, and uh, that's going to be me and uh, Cam, and we are the Gutter Boys. Uh, what's going on? This is, a, a, like I said, I uh, issue one, episode one, season premiere. Uh, we're basically going to be talking about uh, comics, specifically what it's like making them, uh, since we're both comic creators. Uh, so... You know, basically, we're just going to start off here and uh, discuss, uh, you know, what we do, why we do it, and uh, why that that's all a, a terrible life decision, really. 
Um, so yeah, Cam, why did why are you? Well, well, first off, Cam, let's talk about you for a little bit in all seriousness. Um, yeah, so you can go ahead and introduce yourself, I, I guess. Yeah, uh, my name's Cam Del Rosario. I've been making comics for about six years now, and um, the reason why I'm still doing it, I suppose, is because I'm turning thirty this year, and I've just made it so far in life while making them, I really can't not do it because I've just already thrown all this time away. Probably the only reason I'm still doing this. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's all we're doing is just uh, wasting away time before the inevitable end. Um, just, you know, it's like you link up with everybody and everybody's kind of in the same boat. And, uh, you know, we're all just trucking away, still making comics that, uh, you know, should be read by more people, but aren't at all. Well, you've got some you've got a readership now. I don't know. I've got it. I mean, it's grown, but I mean, you know, I've still got a day job. You know how it goes. I mean, I mean, we no... all do. I mean, there's plenty of people that do this and are on another level and they still got day jobs. So. But what if, uh, you know, we were to cater towards the Wonder Woman audience and this was our day job? Could you do that realistically? Do you think that you could survive in like the DC Marvel like monthly deadline grind? Um, If it was the only thing I was doing, probably. It's like 24, I'd probably, um, 26 pages a month. Yeah. I get, yeah. I, I mean, that's not too crazy. I don't think. Yeah. I guess you're you not, to, you're not doing like everything. Right. You're either penciling or inking and then you got a colorist and a letterer. So you're right. Yeah. It wouldn't really be as bad. You're probably working eight to 12 hour days probably still, but you know, at that point, I guess it really just depends on the page rate. You know, these fucking writers for Marvel and DC, they have like nine books. And it's, you know, I guess you can go to the whole writer-artist debate there and, you know, but it's really not fair because the writers are cleaning up, man. When, you know, when you're drawing books, you can't do it as fast and you're just suffering on the pay side. Yeah, I mean, I, this is something that we always uh, kind of harp on is the whole writer versus artist thing. And um, I mean, I think the conversation itself is kind of redundant because we all know anybody dumb enough to argue that writers work harder than artists is completely like incompetent like i'm sorry you don't know Dude. what the creative process is like no uh, you're probably a terrible artist if that's coming out of your mouth and um yeah I, I don't understand it i really don't and i think i mean it makes sense if they're doing eight nine ten books at the same time as when it takes one artist to do one book and they're probably I'm, i mean i don't know i would like to think in a, in a right and just world they're making a quarter of what the artist is making per book but i know that's probably not the case especially for bigger names uh, so it's hard for me to say really, but, um, it, that kind of makes sense if you're doing multiple books because you're doing less work and getting paid less for each project, but that could be just me being naive. I don't, I don't know. I've heard that, uh, you know, you get a pretty good page rate for being a writer from one of the big two, but you know, I don't know anybody specifically that's actually shown me the money, just kind of interviews I've read, but you know, the whole, you're right though. You would just be kind of incompetent, not even understanding if you don't understand how much harder an artist has to grind it out but you know looking at us we do both and that's you know kind of i guess where i guess you can appreciate both sides but i mean you've done stuff where you i think right, right now you're actually working on a book where you're just drawing and somebody else is writing for you right yeah it uh right now i'm working on a thing with um another writer and i tend to uh prefer to work on my own but yeah same here yeah i mean it's just um I don't know. I mean, that's another thing, too. Like, any artist could write their own book and then illustrate it. But if you're a writer and you're talking all that shit and then you want to go and release a, a book, uh, yeah, good luck, man, because just, it's just going to be words. And, and uh, yeah, no one's going to draw it. I mean, you can try to draw it 
but that's probably why you're not doing art because you're not good at it. Uh, I mean, that's pretty much what every big time writer does, right? It's like, I've seen some of Grant Morrison's drawings and, you know, Grant Morrison's a good writer, but God damn, he can't draw worth a shit. And he knows that. So. Exactly. No. And you know, there's, it's kind of funny. Cause like everybody just, I'm sure you get it a whole lot more than I do, but like, do you just get random messages from people that know you make comics and they're like, Hey, I've got this idea. And I'm at the point now where I'm like, Hey, yeah, I'll, that sounds cool. Tell me what it is. But I know full and well that I'm not going to actually do anything with it. Mm-hmm. Do you get this shit all the time? Yeah, I get it pretty often, especially at sort of the bigger cons, like conventions. Um, I'll get at least three or four different guys that come up to me and be like, hey, I'm X, Y, and Z, and I write yada, 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 and uh, I like your work. And I'll be like, oh, cool, thanks, man. And they'll, like, pitch an idea about some book that they've been, you know, talking about. They're looking for artists or whatever, and I'll just nod and smile and be like, okay, cool. And I'll take their card, and then I'll just, like, immediately throw it in the trash. Um, because do you throw all your cards away or do you keep some? No, I mean, I actually don't throw it in the trash. I'm just being mean. I, I do. Keep... Oh no, I, I keep them all in my drawer, but I want to throw the whole fucking box in the trash. Yeah, same, so, same. You know, I have a drawer. I'm never going to look in there. Yeah. My drawer is like full of about a hundred, 200 fucking cards from random people. And yeah, I don't know. I'm sure maybe I'll Dude. do something with them and I'll like uh, make a collage. <laughs> Did I show you that card I got at SPX last year where like it wasn't even the guy whose business card he didn't even give it to me. It was his dad. Uh, this guy's dad came up to my table at SPX last year and was like, my son is writing this epic fantasy saga. And he'd flip through a copy of one of my books and he was like, and I think that you would be perfect for it. First off, I would not be perfect for it because if you've seen my artwork, I do not draw anything remotely fantasy. No, your just work is real perfect for talking. fantasy <laughs> what kind of i've never drawn <laughs> that's fucking great <laughs> dude so he tells me this guy he's like i i want to put you in touch with my son i think you guys would be a good fit I mean, and i nice was like yeah for his son <laughs> i don't know yeah and his son's not even at the comic show but he's trying to get comic artists so i guess his dad's just doing all the legwork for him so he hands me this business card and you know the front of it's just your standard like fucking vista print template it says the guy's name has his email address and his phone number But when you flip the card over, it has a yearbook style portrait of the guy, just his face taking up one whole side of the uh, business card. That's kind of a fancy ass move, in my opinion. That's a that's a good flex. I like that. Yeah, but this guy looks like like Drake when he looks like a dork in Degrassi, but dork. That makes it even better. So it's like, (laughs) I mean, I guess, but I don't know, man. Like, I don't think I'd want to put my face on a business card. It's like. Uh, you know, I'm already only going to hand this to select people. I don't want you to have my phone number and my face all right here. All this information right here. I might as well just hand you my driver's license. But, um, no, it, it's the best business card I've ever gotten, though, just because you're right. It is kind of awesome, the fact that this guy put his fucking face on his business card. But it's better that his dad's just pimping out his son's business card with pictures of his son on them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's something genuinely nice about that, though. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah. so, you know, at least uh, that guy will always be able to say that his dad always has a picture of him in his wallet because he had a stack of those fucking business cards oh, in his yeah. wallet. Well, I mean, that's nice that his dad is, like, supporting him and really a fucking uh, field line of work that's not going to do anything for him. <laughs> you know? Do you think, like, his dad thinks that he's, like, uh, being his son's assistant and one day he's going to get this hotshot artist to draw his fantasy saga? You know... And they're going to yeah, I mean, roll in dough if he's going to pay off one if day. If his understanding of comic books is the same as most people that aren't in comics, you know, like their understanding of comic books, then yes. Because they think, oh, like if you're in comics, that means like you're going to be rich in like five or ten years, right? Like you, you're going to, you're they're going to make a movie. 
about your book or something. That's pretty much the line of uh, line of thinking that a lot of these people have. Yeah, everybody that I uh, graduated high school with that I'm friends with on Facebook, like they think that I'm like super duper successful and it's like all I do. And um, I mean, I guess that's like flattering, but, uh, you know, it's not the case, you know, and you said, like you said, Rich, in five to ten years, I've been doing this six years. How long have you been doing Oh, it's four years, four or five. I'm going on five. Yeah, going on five. Really? I made like really shitty, like eight page mini comics, you know, so like when I say six years, that includes like that phase where I was just trying out. So I guess I've been trying to do comics for six years is a better way to rephrase that. I thought you were in a lot longer than four years. No, no, I kind of fell into comics, to be honest with you. I didn't, I never, I never intended to get into comic books, honestly. Did you just draw recreationally before that, or were you doing it for, like, commercial gigs? Because I know you do, like, t-shirts and shit now, so. Yeah, I mean, after after art school, I basically was just doing uh, freelance illustration work for friends and friends of friends. Um, but... Yeah, I don't know. I never. I I did take a, a making a com like uh what is that like a comics course creating comics course like back in middle school, as like an after school program or a summer program actually. Oh, that's cool. Um, Who taught it? Was it anybody like special that taught it? Actually, it was this guy that at the time had just graduated from high school, and uh, we were. This isn't back in my hometown in Lakeland, uh, Florida. Oh, okay, okay, and um. Yeah, him and his friend at the time were both, like, you know, illustrators or guys that wanted to get into comics. And uh, a couple, like, I don't know, maybe six years later, I ran into him at the at this record store that was really popular at the time, like a small local record store. And uh, he recognized me and we were just talking. And, uh, yeah, we were just friends since then. And I've known him. It, it's uh, actually, <laughs> he makes comics to this day. Um, he His last his last self or not self published but his last like original book like something that he himself owned uh is a uh, Sabretooth Swordsman um for Dark Horse uh, is it, oh, okay. his name's uh, Aaron Connolly Oh gotcha and, yeah yeah I'm familiar Yeah yeah and so really that was the last time I made anything comic book wise was in that class in middle school and then like 2000 15 i want to say or 2014 is when i made my first comic since then okay and then, that makes sense and then so it was the first thing were you doing screw job pretty early on then is that that's the first time i saw anything from you yeah screw job would have been a year after that okay gotcha yeah I, uh, did you graduate art school yeah i graduated in 2012 in florida yeah in tampa yeah um i dropped out of uh film school I have like uh, a year and a half left to get my degree. I'll probably never go back because with school, well, with me personally, anytime that I'm like forced to do something over and over and like I was, I can't even watch a movie the same now today just from taking all classes about it and learning about cuts and like I just notice every little fucking thing about it. But uh, I guess that's kind of why I got into comics personally is because my favorite part about film school was like storyboarding everything before I made it and that's all fucking comics are is essentially storyboarding and making it the best you can so yeah but I didn't finish school at all kind of glad I didn't honestly but uh did kind of segue into me making comics I was making comics in the town I went to school and then I just moved to Louisville after that once I got a little older and wanted to kind of move away and kind of take things more seriously so I've really I guess seriously been doing it for 
I'd say the last like three, four years seriously where I've actually been trying to improve my craft. Yeah. But I don't think I'm going to get much better. I think it's <laughs> you just... think you plateaued and that's pretty much it. <laughs> I, I've, I've plateaued and you're going to get what you get. Yeah. You know, you're going to, you're going to get what you get and I'm going to do what I do and hope that people enjoy it. Do you like think of an audience when you make your comics or do you just kind of make what you want to make? I, I don't think about my audience anymore, really, because I, at this point, I know I'm not be able to make a living doing this full time. So why even bother pandering to anyone? When you say make a living, I mean, do you mean off your own creations? Because I mean, take you could take a, you know, gig for hire. And yeah, but if I'm doing work for hire, then that means like, uh, you know, I'm I'm a hired hand at that point. So it doesn't really matter what. So when you say make a living, you mean like off of something, a creation? Yeah, you I mean, own. just like making a living full time as a comic artist in general. You know, like I don't. If for some reason I'm able to 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 do that full time and make a living making comics, it's definitely not going to be. You know, because I was trying to purposefully target my work a certain way towards specific groups of people. It would just because it would be because some some person saw my stuff and was like, yeah, I like that, I guess. And uh, oh, exactly. it had yeah, nothing no, to do with me, you know, intentionally creating it to look that way for that person to then randomly DM me and say, hey, I like your stuff. You know, there's there's really not a whole I mean, I guess now you can kind of follow trends and kind of draw the way X, Y and Z draws. And, you know, when you're starting out, that is important because then you have you have a way to to kind of work stuff out using that as your baseline. And that's fine. But nowadays, I mean, like, for example, now everybody needs needs for some reason in their head, they have it so that they need to draw like, you know, um, Darrow and quietly. Like, that's a big thing right now. Jeff Darrow hurts my feelings. And when I say hurts my feelings, it's just like I look at that stuff and it just is so mind blowing. It makes me just want to hang it up. Like, I just know I will never make anything that good. He, like, uh, have you seen his uh, Matrix yeah. concept art? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, that shit is so crazy. Yeah, I mean, everybody likes Darrow and a lot of people try to jock his style. But at the end of the day, there's only one Darrow. Nobody's going to be able to really imitate that work to a T. And anybody that does imitate it does a really poor job of it. And I don't know anybody that actively goes to any uh, event or bookshop or what have you and says, you know what I really want to look at today? A lesser version of Darrow. That's really <laughs> what is going to just get me going. <laughs> well, you know, nobody says that. <laughs> Not at all. No. And I think, uh, I don't know, like with Darrow, it's just like this crazy, just the intricate detail. I actually have been meaning to recently look up like some of his process because there's no way that he's like fitting. All, I mean, maybe he is like, I just feel like now some of that's got to be like digitally composed together uh, with like, maybe he's like layering some of his, like, I just, it looks so big that, and I I don't understand how he's like doing that at real From scale. What my understanding is when it comes to his comics, each panel is done on a separate sheet of paper. That makes and, a lot of sense. And then it's yes. all combined, you know, after the fact. Um, it, I have a weird Darrow story, actually. I can, I can tell you about that. I don't know if I should tell it now. It doesn't matter. Um, yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a weird dude. He's really nice, but he's a weird dude. <laughs> oh, so you actually have like a personal story about Darrow? Yeah, yeah. I would see him a lot. I mean, he lives in Chicago or did before he moved to, oh, okay, before he moved okay. to France. Um, he's, gotcha. I, he's a nice yeah, guy. Yeah, you'll tell he me is, that story later. He is a nice dude, but, um, 
Yeah. I actually kind of, I kind of fucked up because he like gave me his number to hang out and I just never called him. Dude, that's like, yeah, you fucked up like real hard. I know. Like you could be making a living off comics if you hung out with Darrow. No, no, I don't think so. I don't, Dude, I don't think, call somebody I don't, and be like, look here, this is the thing about like, um, when people try to, you know, fucking bandwagon on an artist or a writer or whatever and fucking, you know, ride their dick the entire time. Like, no, I'm not saying you have the dick ride, but hey, if he's asking you to hang out, you can be like, hey, put in a good word for me. I want to draw venom. Sure, sure. But I mean, what I'm saying is, is like, I, I don't really see how those types of rela- relationships ever lead to anything like um, any anything that's like tangible in terms of like uh, making your career or whatever. Like I have I have I have a decent number of friends who are way, way, way more. I mean, it's not it's a low bar, but way more successful than I am. And, uh, you know, I, I'm just friends with them cause they're cool people. And, and there's so few cool people in, in the comics world, in, in my opinion, that I can actually fuck with, but, but hanging out with them doesn't somehow lead to me getting more gigs or anything like that. Nor do I go out of my way to try and get more gigs through those people. Cause I think that's corny as oh, shit. Oh no. Yeah, no, you shouldn't, you definitely shouldn't use anybody to get gigs. I wasn't like, but, uh, I guess like for an example though, like I kind of feel like the opposite way around, like, you know, like. I wouldn't have uh, ever figured out how to do shows if it wasn't for like hanging out with other people and them like taking me along. Oh, um, true, yeah. You know, like uh, I, you know, Javier. Uh, so you know, Javier found me online, and uh, Javier, you know, put out one of my books and asked me to table with him at a few shows. And I would have never even thought to do that. I probably wouldn't have even been making comics still and trying to get them out there if I didn't meet him and do shows. I would have probably just been like, I'm done with this shit. But um, so I think that, you know, it kind of uh, me tagging along with some of my comics friends is really I think it has helped me get gigs. So I'm on the kind of opposite side of that. But using using somebody, no, definitely not like fucking riding their dick until they can hook you up with a fucking gig somewhere else. That's fucking I'm the dude that's like um, at the fucking Taco Bell register. Uh, you know trying to be as uh, polite as possible to ask for my cup that i ordered (laughs) that came with my meal and i'll just stand there like a fucking idiot for 15 minutes because i'm like too i don't know too weird or hung up on on social cues to to be like hey can you give me this thing that i ordered i don't know no i feel you and like now like everything's fucking online of course so it's like super weird like i talk to you the majority of the time through like text or dm you know so we rarely talk in person unless we're at a show together so it's like the social cues aren't there online so i've gotten like way more fucking awkward since like i guess like the social media age like i used to be able to talk to anybody in person and now i kind of just i'm like hey what's up (laughs) (laughs) I, i liked your pic the other day that was cool Thanks for following me on Instagram. Like, that's the fucking, like, cool thing about shows, though, is, like, it's like summer camp, man. You get to see all these people that you only really follow and speak with online. And that's, like, I think one of the main reasons why I still do this is because, like, it gives me something to kind of look forward to because, you know, I have nothing else going on in my life. So, uh, you know, these, like, eight to ten weekends that I get out a year and get to hang out with, like, people that understand what I do because, you know, we all know that there's no fucking money in this. We all know that we really probably won't be successful in this. And even the people that you view as successful aren't as successful as you think that they are because they're still taking $65 commissions at their fucking table. Like we had an argument and uh, I've got a group chat with uh, Blake and Dylan and we had an argument once because uh, over commission rates 
um, because Dylan comes from a background where he was like doing like commercial t-shirt work and everything like that. So he was able to like make money off of like bands and we were doing commissions and we were charging, you know, 40, 50 bucks for him. He was like, you guys need to charge higher. And we were like, man, it doesn't work like that in comics. I wish it did, but it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. I guess you could technically get more, but I mean, if you wanted to to be competitive, I suppose you have to do like the 40 to 50 price yeah, range. I mean, I, I've, when I started out initially, I had no idea how to, you know, price out my, my commissions. I was practically giving them away my first year, I would say. And now I'm basically like, uh, I'm, I'm usually charging, I don't know, like probably more than I should, but also, uh, I don't really want to draw X, Y, and Z or whatever, unless you're going to pay me to make it worth my time. Exactly. Cause that's what it boils down to. Cause you're working on other shit too. Sometimes it's fun when you get like a random X, Y, Z. Like most of the time, the commissions I get are like, hey, uh, my friends are getting married. Can you draw them with their dogs? So if somebody asked me to draw Wolverine, I'm stoked because I never draw Wolverine. But um, that's just because my audience isn't really asking me to draw Wolverine or stuff like that. But the way I look at it is, is like, for an example, I actually just recently got a uh, commissioned piece from Gilbert Hernandez. And like, to me, like, and I guess like almost everybody, you know, you realize the Hernandez brothers are like gods in the independent comics book, comic book world. and that was $150. So if you're winning an Eisner for a lifetime achievement and you're charging me $150 for a drawing and, you know, I look at other people, I'm like, well, if that's like the ceiling and you look at someone like, I guess, like Charles Forsman, who, you know, he's got a fucking Netflix show. He's charging like 70 or 80. I guess I'm like, well, I'm not on their level. So mine's 40 or 50. I guess I look at it as like a competitive pricing thing, but I should definitely, I've thought about charging more, but I mean, I you usually I'm... you usually run out of your slots pretty quick, and I I I whenever I put up any kind of commission list, I'll rarely fill it up, and I'm completely fine with that because I know I, I'm going into it. I expect to get zero responses, so if I get one response, that is one more than I had, I was expecting, and uh, I'm fine with taking no commissions because then I can focus on my other stuff that you know I actually really really care about or you know, some uh, freelance work that somebody hired me out to do. Um, so I don't know. It's, I try not to get too hung up about that kind of stuff, to be honest with you, but. I, I guess I just want to do it because uh, the, I look at like my day job and my art money is different. I like to try to be self-sustainable with like the shows, like the table fees and printing costs like i like to try to keep all that self-sufficient and oh, pay for itself with commissions yeah. and stuff yeah, so definitely, definitely i think that's why i actively put them out um but a lot of the people that and you know i'm thankful that i even have an audience but a lot of the people that commission me aren't other like people that are making comics or like fans i feel like of comics it's mainly just like girls i went to high school with that uh oh. saw some examples i posted and they're you know, like, hey, I want you to draw, you know, my cousin's getting married. Can you draw their dog? So a lot of the commissions I do are just bullshit. And I'm not hating on, you know, the work that I get. It's fine. I don't mind to do it at all. But I think that's why I fill up. And I only do like four, four or five spots. And I open them up like once a quarter or something. Yeah. Because I know that I'm going to get burned out after four or five, which of is course. why I think, you know, I'm like, I just don't even do, I don't accept commissions year round when I should. But I only yeah. do it if I feel like I mean, doing I, it. I usually don't even bother posting anything about it. Because if somebody does want to really commission me for something, they'll they'll just ask me straight up. They're not going to wait for me to say, okay, now I can take commissions. They're just going to straight up just hit me up and ask me if I'm open or available or 
you know, what my rate is so that they can say no thanks. Uh, but, you know, like, you know, shit like that. It's, uh, and I don't really do stuff like that for shows for the most part, except for, you know, the ones coming up, uh, let's see 2 e 2 because like that, that one's like a local one. And so I do a little better at that one. And I have like a kind of a small local audience that will buy commissions regularly. So, yeah, the first uh, CZF I met you at, you were drawing live commissions at, I think that was 2016 show, maybe oh, 2015. Yeah, yeah, or that no, was 2016. when I was tabling with like um, Andrea and, and Luke and Liz and all those people. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, because I remember uh, that was like the first year I met you, and uh, yeah, I remember watching you draw at your table for a little bit. Um, but yeah, no, and I think like what it is is like I just don't want to take commissions, honestly. If I'm working on a book, um, which is probably seven months out of the year and it's not me working eight hours a day on it it's just i don't want to it's if i've if i know i've got a deadline coming up i'm probably not going to take commissions because i don't want anything getting in the way so i will refuse commissions like if people hit me up i'm like i don't really feel like doing this right now i don't have the time so that's i think that's why whenever i put it up they're like oh hey i've wanted this for a while and uh that's i think that's the only reason why i fill up is because i don't openly take them yeah maybe that's that that makes sense so if you hit me up i'm probably going to say no right Unless yeah, it's a slow period. That's true. I, I With me, I'll usually have a hard time saying no, uh, which is really stupid because then I end up digging this hole where I can't do anything for like a month and a half. And, and all I'm doing is working, you know, so it sucks. <laughs> exactly. And I'm on the like I'm this year. I'm trying so hard um, to stay on top of my shit like uh, the past two years. I always knew that I had to have a new book by this show, whatever the show right. was. and. Uh, I would, you know, have the book thought out and pretty much done like mentally and like thumbnailed out. But the actual work on the book, it's like six weeks out from the show that I start fucking working on it. So it's like I don't do anything for a month and a half and I hate my fucking life because (laughs) I just got to finish this fucking book. And I can't even like go back and review sometimes because I'm so riding the deadline so closely. So I've really tried to kind of give myself some more space to breathe this year, but um, I'm still feeling like I'm falling behind because I feel like I should be doing more than what I've already done. So I have a feeling it's going to be what show season starts in May and it's going to be April mm-hmm. and I'm not going to be able to do anything except chain myself I, to my I'm, fucking I'm table. I'm the same way, man. And it's weird, too, because if I ever do have like two days where I don't need to be uh, grinding on something, I'll just feel bad. And I, I don't right, know why you, I'm just, I'm ju- I'm just trying to relax. I'm just trying to watch like, I don't know, like wrestling or a movie or a TV show. And I'm just like, I just like the entire time I'm sitting there just like I fucking hate myself. What am I doing with my life? This is so stupid. Um, I'm just wasting time. I'm not creating anything. And it's just, you know, it's counterproductive because you do need moments of just relax. You know, we tend now, nowadays you have this whole grind culture, right? With creatives in general which is like super unhealthy and uh, we all have it in our fucking brains where we, we need to constantly be producing something and constantly, um, you know, signaling to other people that we are super busy and losing sleep. It's like, that's not a way to live, you know, like that's not healthy in any way, shape or form. So I'm, I'm trying to get myself out of that fucking habit, but it's, it's so counterintuitive in a lot of ways, but I'm trying to work myself out of that mindset. Well, no, you're, you're right. And like, you know, it's just kind of like for an example, I mean, just like time feels like with, you know, information just available and constantly coming at you, you know, it's like, I saw a meme that was like, 
you know, the movie Black Panther only came out like, you know, 11 months ago. And that shit feels like 20 years ago with how like fast we get information. So the whole fucking having to post all the time to like stay relevant. I used to be so about that. Like, but now I just don't give a fuck. I just post once every once a week, twice a week now. I used to try to get like daily content like, oh, here's something stupid from a sketchbook that was really fucking terrible. But I had to post that day. <laughs> yeah, because you got to fucking, you know, stay relevant and appear busy. Now I don't give a fuck. You know, yeah, like, you got to always be some... posting. Always. Yeah, here's now it's just like, here's some memes on my story that like 10 percent of my audience is going to appreciate. And eventually I'm going to lose some followers. Yeah, I mean, that's be all sick I of that shit. Post memes on my stories for the most part. And uh, I don't really care if people don't like that. They can um, hit that unfollow. <laughs> well, you already got canceled over some memes you posted anyways. Well, almost. You know, you got into that Twitter spat over the... Uh, well, I, I'm assuming it was probably DDT or something. That meme you I posted. I don't remember. Honestly. What was it? It was uh, the uh, meme where... Oh, yeah, uh, I know what you're talking about now. I don't even know the wrestler's because, name. Yeah, uh, there's this like, goofy wrestling spot, and so I made a meme out of that, and some some random person that I've never communicated with ever, who's never talked to me and at all, uh, was just like, hey man, that's not funny, or like, that's very offensive to me. And I'm just like, okay. I don't, I, don't to, I don't know what to tell you. I'm not going to apologize because that's going to be but the, the funniest situation so, was that. Uh, and that would have been an issue with like, they got mad at you for something that happened elsewhere. You know, so if anything, why are they mad at you? They should be mad at the company that booked the wrestling event. they can't event, directly you know, tweet whatever, that person hey. so like three people can see that they're upset about something. That's the whole point of that. You know, like that's, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I was talking to someone else about that same person too. Uh, cause they tried to hassle them about some, some stuff that went on with their book. Uh, I mean, we can go into detail about it later, but it, yeah, it's just basically, this is not the first time this person has done it. They are definitely one of those virtue signal signalers thinking that if, if they do enough SJW work that, and by that, I mean, if they complain enough on Twitter without actually doing any real activist work, <laughs> then Retweeting is an activist. But if they do just that and enough of it, then maybe people will recognize them as an available writer or artist. I don't. I honestly don't know what it is that they do because I forgot. But they do something in comics, and uh, like eight people care. Uh, no, it, it is. I think. I think they're an artist. Maybe they're either an artist oh, okay, or a writer, okay, okay. and uh, they get like no work. Nobody interacts with their work at all. Nobody fucks with their work at all. And it was kind of sad. Like, I felt bad when I started dunking on him. And I was like, oh, like, this person is like a nobody who's like trying to gain some some audience by pretending to give a shit about something that doesn't affect anyone. So I don't know. You know, live and let live, I guess. Whatever. Uh, speaking of living, we got to get paid. So uh, we're going to take a quick break here for uh, our sponsor. And then from there, we're going to go ahead and talk about some upcoming news and events. So if you are a comic creator or a fan, uh, maybe uh, check this out because uh, we'll be hitting up some dates and whatnot that you might care about or not. It doesn't matter. I mean, who's really going to be listening to this? Anyway, uh, yeah, so we'll be right back, I guess. All right, bye. We'll be right back. 
If you're into collectible cards and comics, you've got to check out the Comic Pit in Howell and in Brighton. The Comic Pit is a full-line supplier of collectible cards, including Magic, Star Wars, and Star Trek. Sports cards from Tops and Flair to Upper Deck and Skybox. The latest products for role-playing games, and of course, the best in today's and yesterday's comics. Plus, with a membership, you can get 10% off everything in the store at either location. Weekly trading sessions and monthly tournaments. The Comic Pit is the place to shop for all your hobby needs. On Grand River and Howell and Main Street, Brighton. to our program. Uh, and we're back. And uh, we're going to go ahead and talk about some upcoming events. Uh, specifically, uh, these are uh, kind of relevant because uh, if you make comics or are involved in some way, shape, or form in comics, uh, then you probably have gotten these emails or know about these dates. So we're just going to go ahead and touch on those. Uh, Cake, it, Cake Chicago Alternative Comic Expo. It's one of the bigger uh, small press events in uh, in the U.S. The biggest one in in the Midwest that I know of. Uh, they just released all the uh, uh, people that were accepted into the event. Um, and uh, so I'll be tabling. It's actually my first time tabling at that event. Well, no, that's that's not true. I just told a lie. It's the first time I've ever been accepted into that show officially the right way instead of just sneaking in the shadows to which is what I did this year because I got waitlisted and I'm sneaking into your shadow. Yeah. I mean, it's something I've been doing for four years now. So it's it's nice to not have to ask another person i mean you didn't really ask me i was just like hey just table with me fuck it but um yeah so that that's that's kind of nice to to be able to say that i got into this event you know like the way most normal people do i guess cam what are your thoughts on cake so um i've actually never been um but that being said i know it's like really like one of the bigger shows in america like you said and uh i know that uh i thought that I may stand a chance on actually making it this year as far as getting in. So uh, now I have a chip on my shoulder, not anything against like the organizers. because They're all great people. Well, the ones I know, but like, it just makes me want to try harder to actually get accepted next yeah. year on my own merit. Um, but I'm looking forward to doing the show and hanging out, you know, anytime that I get to go to your hood in Chicago is always a good time. And, uh, with it, you know, being a bigger show, I'm looking forward to kind of meeting people, checking out some books there. So I'm pretty excited about it, but uh, it also makes me want to work harder on what I'm working on now so I can try and get in on my own next year and get that accepted email instead of waitlisted. For sure. It's a, it's a weird racket applying to these different shows, right? And hoping that you get in. I mean, I'm going to be doing C2E2 this year, another event that's kind of a, a big one in Chicago, and I've yet to officially get in there. Um, in Artist Alley, uh, because it's run by Reed Pop, uh, and for some reason the people that organize Reed Pop just don't fucking like me, and I don't <laughs> really know what it is that I did or said, and frankly I don't really care. Um, so I, I don't, I don't know. I, there's always going to be a way for me to get into their shows one way or the other. So uh, jokes on them, but yeah, I, I don't really get it. With Cake, they change their organizers every couple of years, so. 
I think that gives a lot of people like myself the opportunity to, you know, reapply every year and eventually somebody in that, you know, changing of the guard will eventually be like, yeah, I guess we'll let this person in this year. So, well, I I think Cake is probably, well, in my experience of applying for shows, Cake is the only one that has like, a pretty like thought out like grading system it almost feels yeah. like the the old salon like that they used to do in paris like mm-hmm. i don't know if that was like the 16 1700s 1800s you know my art history is a little bad there but where it's just like a bunch of people critiquing your work mm-hmm. uh Dil- dylan and i were trying to uh bribe yewan if we were in her <laughs> packet with uh, amazon gift cards on twitter to accept us but uh but you know it is what it is i'm pretty excited about uh Actually, just being there and just seeing everybody. Yeah, I mean, there's you know a lot, a lot of good work there. I, if anything, always have the problem of spending too much money at that event, just because there's so many great creators and 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 very interesting voices creating new stuff, and all of it is almost always you know top tier quality. Uh, and you're not going to find stuff like that at any show like C2E2, honestly. So Yeah, C2E2 is all the, uh, you know, cosplay and uh, not saying there's not cosplay at indie comic shows, but it's definitely just more just regular looking people and not <laughs> Remember the, uh, that uh, that cosplayer at SPX? <laughs> which one? <laughs> yeah, there was more than one. Well, I feel like I saw like, because the creator, was it Steven Universe? Is that the big uh, Rebecca Sugar? Is that the show that they work on? Steven Universe. I saw a lot of Steven Universe uh, cosplay if that was the show. Whatever Cartoon Network show was there, I actually okay, saw a lot yeah. of the people cosplaying like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was that was unexpected. I had never seen people cosplay at an at a small press show before, which was kind of cool, but Yeah, I mean with C2E2, I think it has more to do with the fact that like they're 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 trying to get the largest most general audience possible. And so that's like you know, your co-worker's mom that loves the Thor movies. And so they go to the C2E2 because that's kind of a comic thing. And they they can guess. pay $300 to the guy who plays Thor to take a picture that they frame and keep for life. Yeah. 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 And I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I, you know, you, you know that if, uh, well, actually, you know, it, I personally don't like it when anybody enjoys anything. <laughs> so, <laughs> So I can't really relate to that in any way, shape, or form. No, I, it doesn't really matter to me. It's more about, uh, I think their process with applications and Artist Alley in general, I wish they were a little more transparent about that because I, for the life of me, cannot give you an answer as to how how that process works out. And because it's Reed Pop, which is this giant faceless corporation, they also handle uh, Emerald City and New York Comic Con, you know, two of the other major events in the U.S. And uh, I've yet to get into Emerald, and I've yet to get into New York, and I'm going to go ahead and take a wild guess here, and it has something to do with the fact that it's the same fucking people maintaining those, you know, artist alleys. So, I don't know. I, I don't know what it is. I don't know why uh, I'm not getting in. Maybe I'm not drawing enough uh, anime titty paintings, because that's a <laughs> thing that I keep seeing. Is some fucking dweeb tabling at these events and they get in every year and they're just like selling these portraitures of just this just anime women with their tits out. And I'm like, there's something going on here. Like I'm missing something here in terms of their their submission process. Dude, they did a uh, a big. Well, I say big. They did one of the bigger shows here in Louisville recently, and I actually got to work it with Neil Adams 
And, um, oh, yeah, yeah, you were telling me about dude, that, dude. Okay, so this is like one of those shows where doesn't he think the world is flat? He's a flat earther. Right? I don't know about that. I've got some like funny stories about that dude, though, because like I was with him for like 13 hours. Um, all right, all right, you, you tell me this story and I'm gonna look up. <laughs> if Neil Adams is I'm a flat earther, Neil Adams flat Dude, earther. So I'm pretty sure it was kind of just surreal because like, you know, everybody knows who fucking Neil Adams is. And I got the gig because like I went to my local comic store and they were like, hey, they asked for some of our employees to work this show, but we're working our own booth. Do you want to do it? They're going to give you 20 bucks an hour. And I was like, yeah, I'll work for 20 bucks an hour, you know, but I ended up having to fucking spend 12 hours, 13 hours with him and uh, his wife. And I brought my brother yeah. with me because they needed somebody else. And we just had to like pretty much like bag up all his prints. But this guy would not even talk to you unless you gave him $50. Like, it was $50 for a fucking autograph, dude. Any Man, signature. That is a clutch move. And, like, that yeah, rules. it was so great. And, dude, and he's notorious for doing this. This dude actually walked up to him and asked him to show him his uh, portfolio. And he said, I will pay you not to. And he legit gave the guy a $10 bill to not show him his fucking portfolio. <laughs> Yes. Dude, it was so great. Uh, and then the like, then Jerry the King Lawler showed up and hung out in the booth for like 35 minutes, and that was kind of weird. Uh, but somebody did come up weird. to Jerry Lawler and was like, hey, man, uh, can I get a picture with you? And he was like, yeah, if you go to my booth and wait in line and give me $30. <laughs> Unless you're an underage girl, in which case, uh, come on down to my hotel room. Dude, I think the uh, the best thing about Neil Adams, though, like working with him, because like I would like be right next to him because like we would just bag up whatever anybody fucking bought. And uh, he would literally just talk shit about his fans. Like most of the time when you're at like a bigger comic show like that, you get like a booth. Well, Neil rents out yeah. like six booths. I'm not lying. Like he has this. Oh yeah, that's what uh, that's what Rob Liefeld did for C2E2. Last yeah, year. so it's like this just ridiculously long, huge booth, and like Neil is just talking about like there's chairs. If you ever go, if you ever see Neil Adams at a con, if you look at like what mm -hmm. he offers, there's like multiple folding chairs just spread out at like even intervals around his booth, and he told us yeah. when we were setting it up to put it there, and he was like. Yeah, man. He was like, some of these people that like my work are just really out of shape. And I like to give them the option to just sit down. And if they sit down in my booth, they might see some of my drawings and they'll give me some more money. Shit ruled. Man, that's like top tier carny Dude, move. He's a straight up carny. And he won't even like. That's amazing. Yeah, it's just like, if you want a picture with him, it's $40. Okay, here we go. Adams, uh, this is from Wikipedia. Adams believes the earth is growing through a process called pear production. Adams holds the work of Australian geologists. Samuel Warren Carey in high esteem, but considers the term expanding Earth a misnomer. Basically, he's, a, he's an expanding Earth okay. person. When Carey did advocate an expanding Earth in the mid-20th century, his model was reje rejected following the development of the theory of plate tectonics. Adams advocates his ideas in a DV documentary he wrote and produced, clips of which are available on his YouTube channel. Adams appeared on the radio show Coast to Coast AM. Hell yes. That's when you know this dude's a crackpot. Yes. <laughs> several times to discuss his claims. He was also interviewed by Stephen Novella on the Skeptic's Guide podcast in 2006 and afterwards continued the debate on Novella's blog. Japan Times columnist Jeff Ogurseg wrote a three-part feature promoting Adam's ideas, which, can round, uh, which was roundly criticized by Novella for being an example of outright promotion of pseudoscience as if it were news. Adams uh, also used the concept as the basis for his Batman Odyssey series oh, in which the planet's expansion has produced a hollow earth and the inside of it, which is inhabited by dinosaurs and Neanderthal versions of the main characters. That's fucking amazing. I do remember 
reading uh, Batman Odyssey when that was coming out. Dude. And I, I genuinely bought every single like issue the floppies. Yeah. as it was released because of how batshit insane that story was. Because it made no sense. From one page to the next, nothing added up at all. And it was kind of amazing to, to really kind of witness this unhinged fucking voice just babbling to himself into the void through through art <laughs> it, was, it was kind of beautiful and he's just in his own fucking stratosphere man the funniest shit that happened with him and then uh you know i guess this is like the best neil adams story i'll ever have is uh you know i brought my brother with me and we met him at the hotel um before because mm-hmm. the convention was attached to a hotel like it was in like a hotel i guess kind of like spx like they had a little like big section for it um and he had had been walking with like a I guess it was like a a bag that had like two straps on it, kind of like a shopping bag, and it was full of diet cokes and like snacks for himself. And he holds it out, and like his fist is out, and my brother just fist bumps him. And Neil Adams is like what sixty or seventy years old, and my brother fist bumps yeah. him, and Neil Adams just looks <laughs> at him and he's like, "No, carry my fucking bag." <laughs> like he was trying to hand him the bag, and my brother fist bumped him. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, that was a trip, though. Yeah, I've never actually done a big show, though. Um, I don't think I would sell well personally just because, you know, I'm not drawing anime titties or, you know, anything that looks like it's from, you know, 90s extreme comics. So, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a small press presence at these shows now. I mean, with C2E2, especially over the years, I've noticed there's been more and more, uh, you know, creator creators selling stuff that I probably wouldn't have seen 10 years ago. And that has less to do, I think, with these conventions and more to do with the fact that there's just so many of these people now doing stuff that's outside of the normal realm of, you know, what's already there. So, I don't know. I mean, it, it it's an interesting experience for sure. It's definitely something I would say is worth checking out at least once if you're a creator or a comic artist or whatever, uh, just because of the experience. I mean, worst comes to worst, you'll lose, you know some money but you'll have some uh pretty stellar stories like that we one. should try to find somebody to uh amazing. get us into new york i've never actually been to new york so i'm trying to do new york comic-con this year i heard cab is pretty hard to get into so uh we should try to find a way into artist alley at new york comic-con this year uh yeah i mean new york comic-con is uh, a huge huge show but because uh, it's like divvied up now with spaces and new york is already expensive as it is and from what i'm told from people that do it yearly it's like one of the most expensive shows that they have to do um and it's you know because cost of living and then you know food and whatnot all that stuff adds up um when you're fucking i don't know in nowhere maryland so (laughs) i can't imagine it being even more uh impractical in some place like new york city uh but I, I'm not opposed to the idea of doing it. I would just, it would have to be the perfect storm kind of situation where, and I know enough people that live in New York City, so I don't really have to worry too much about where where to, to crash at, per se. But I I don't know. It just, the more I read about it, the more I kind of never want to do it, even though I know I probably should because of how important that show is in the grand scheme of things. I mean, I'm saying stuff like important, but really I don't know what that means now that I think about it. Right. Other than a lot of people attend 
and that's it. Exactly. Like it looks good so, on an application for another show. <laughs> that's right. Another place to exactly. So I don't it's know. All like, fucking scam, man. It's a work. I don't. Yeah. I don't know. If if for some reason we could get a table for nothing, then yes, I'll go ahead and do it. But I'm not paying four or five hundred dollars to waste five days of my life fuck it's five days giant crowd i it i i mean yeah i think so because it's like nowadays these shows are like four days and i think new york comic-con is um i think five because they have like a preview day and then you know the the con will start on thursday and end on sunday so yeah it's five i get days. upset when a show is two yeah yeah no i don't want to do new york anymore then maybe cab we'll try to apply for cab throw our uh, name into the hat there see what's going on I just want an excuse to go to New York. Never been. But, um. Oh, it's cool. I mean, I like New York. It's okay. I would never move there, but, and it's nice to visit. But, um, the idea of going there for a convention just sounds like a headache waiting to happen. Cause the city's crowded as is. And then you fucking make it even worse by, I don't know, gathering all these people into one small location. And, and yeah, I just, I have a hard enough time as it is with crowds. To be to be honest, like I get a little anxious and weird, and then uh, I don't even know if it's claustrophobia. It's just like all these bodies writhing around me, and there's no exit, and it's just like I just I lose it, and I just like have a panic attack. So, uh, I don't know. Yeah, it would have to be a very specific scenario where I would be able to do that, and most of that would be dependent on me not paying anything. And I hear you on that. So I mean, it's just like so you've never actually tabled at a show in New York, then. No, okay. no, no. I mean, I've been, I visited New York City, but I've never gone there, you know, for work or for, you know, this. So, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's, I, it's not on my priority list. I'll say that much. We'll see what happens. Uh, I, I did see last year's New York uh, Comic Con was pretty sick. There was, uh, when I say pretty sick, what I'm getting at is I saw a picture of a guy that cosplayed as the building it was in, and that was pretty awesome. So, ever since I saw that, it's been a reputable show to me. Uh, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah, that guy rules. Poor girl. Them um, they. Oh yeah. Well, uh, oh yeah. Okay. So the next show that we should probably touch on or at least mention Chicago Zine Fest. Another. Yeah. These are all Chicago centric. Uh, fuck the rest of this fucking country. Yo, Chicago's where it's at. Let's be honest. Uh, actually, you know what? I, I know that I'm joking, but when it comes to small press, Chicago really does have it locked well, down. Well, and the crazy thing is, is like, uh, the comic scene that I feel most connected to is the Chicago comic scene. Um, Chicago Zine Fest is the first show I ever did uh, when I was working with, uh, there's a cartoonist that lives there, Javier Suarez. He doesn't really make comics too much anymore, but at the time he was, and uh, he was running Loki, and uh, people always associate me with the Chicago comic scene, even though I live in Kentucky, and I think it's just because yeah. they see us chopping it up with you all all the time. Um, I've actually, recently I was telling Dylan the other day, I got a DM, and uh I won't name the person, but they were like, I, we were going back and forth and they had shared a piece of work on their story and I said it was good. And, uh, they responded and they said, you know, it's so flattering. I, I love that the Chicago scene kind of motivates me and they don't live in Chicago. They're from Texas. And I was just like, well, I'm not from Chicago, but I'm not going to correct you. So it's kind of funny to get lumped yeah. into that scene. So yeah, you all do have it on lockdown and there's not really much of a scene here. So I feel like. I'm more part of that scene just based off who I know and who I run with. Yeah, there's definitely you know more 
more people here that are actively making uh, new, interesting stuff. Like, I feel like uh, other places, they do have a lot of great artists and creators. And, you know, that's not really the issue. It's more about who's really kind of uh, pushing the medium in any sort of way. And I feel like that's Chicago. Oh, dude, for sure. I, I, I don't know anyone else really. Even in L.A., I don't really see well, anybody pushing the limitations of the medium the way people in Chicago are. And with are. L.A. And I can't even – I'm not even going to lump myself in that. I definitely don't push anything. <laughs> I, I'm, just, I'm just saying as an observer, it's like, yeah, this is this Well, is and I mean, you, get, you think about it even historically. I mean, Klaus and Chris Ware, they're based in Chicago, right? And, you know, you got Ivan yeah, Brunetti. Yeah. And even now, I mean, Chris Ware, Chris, yeah, Ware's, Chris Ware's there. And, uh, you know, L.A. now, I feel like L.A. is where you go if you make comics in between your day job at Cartoon Network or Nickelodeon. That's what. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's not a put down or anything. That's just the truth. Yeah. You know? It's like everybody that lives out in L.A. works for some animation studio and they put out, you know, a comic every couple of years. But, you know, they were probably more active five or six years ago. But, hey, you know, I'm not going to hate on the day job. If you can get a fucking day job working at one of those places, that's great. And that's also I mean, a lot of people make their name doing that, too. Exactly. Yeah. DeForge with Adventure Time, you know, is the biggest example, probably, as far as like being like current in the indie comics scene. I feel like he's pretty big right now. Yeah. There's there's a lot of people like that that come out of uh, the animation work field or whatever. And then and they're creating a lot of really good stuff, you know, when they have the time at least. And yeah, I mean, animation as a job is fucking taxing, man. You're working like 60, 80 hours a week, um, getting paid a whole, I mean, really not that much considering how much time you're putting yeah, in. Yeah. It. It's like, it's like a decent salary if you're working 40 hours a week. But once you realize that you're working overtime and on deadlines all the, all the fucking time. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's, and I've never personally even worked in that field. I've just talked to people who have. And it just seems like it's, I, I would probably hate it. I mean, it'd be cool to say you work there, but you know, the stress probably. I think it's a good starting it. point. It's a good starting point for, for your career. If you really want to put your name out there, it's cool to put your, your, the time and effort into that for a year or two. And then from there, you know, be able to make a name for yourself outside of that. Exactly. And I mean, like, you know, kind of going back to Chicago, I mean, even now, some of my favorite uh, you know, cartoonists are working out of Chicago. You know, I, Anya Davidson's from there and, you know, they're making really good stuff. And yeah, her and Lane are always putting out some new stuff and it's usually, you know, top tier quality. So yeah, I, I've been meaning to subscribe to Lane's Patreon so I can read his uh, comics because I haven't seen, I bought as many that he did for, I think, TCAF last year. It was the last thing I saw, but Lane's stuff rules too. So yeah, they're two really exciting people. And even Mike Centino, I've been uh, keeping up with Mike's his stuff dude. online. Mike's yeah. a solid fucking guy, man. That's a G right there. Yeah, you know, I'd seen his work and, uh, you know, I actually am like a really big fan now. I've been trying to read those comics that he posts online because I, I don't know what paper it is. You guys have a paper there that they're all doing stuff for right now. Yeah, it's uh, a local. I, yeah, I, I forget the name of it. But yeah, yeah, but he's been doing more stuff for them. Well, I mean, like, even, like, you know, we have, like, those free city rags here, too, and you could never fucking find a comic in it. They have, like, our comic, the comic section in my city paper here in Louisville is, like, the local comic stores will review stuff, and it's always, like, here's our review of Deadpool, Bad Blood, you know, and it's just so bullshit, you know. At least Chicago at least offers platforms for different cartoonists to get work. I see that pretty regularly. Yeah, and, you know, with Chicago Zine Fest, I think, uh... Chicago Zine Fest is a really good place to 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 meet really really new voices, you know, like uh, being able to find stuff that you probably wouldn't have found otherwise. Oh, hundred that, percent. That, yeah, yeah, I agree. With that's that. how I met so many people here, local and uh, you know, people from other uh, other cities that come and travel 
just for that show because it is a big show. It's the huge. only other zine fest I've ever been to that's even come close in terms of scale and uh, you know number of uh, creators and whatnot is LA Zine Fest. Yeah, I've done that show too, and like, and it's kind of crazy because like exactly what you said. Like uh, the first two shows I ever did were Chicago Zine Fest and LA Zine Fest, and then after I did those, uh, I did Asheville Zine Fest last year. And that was probably, no, not even probably. It was hands down the worst show I've ever done. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a garage. It's yeah. like, it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. It, uh, it's a yard sale. It, it's, <laughs> so. it's a yard sale with like crust punks that have like, you know, zines on how to look cool while riding your bike. And, you know, sure. I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm sitting over here. Every third person that comes up to me is like, you got any free shit? No, man. Yep. Yeah. No, well, I, mean, I don't. You, <laughs> although to be fair, you do get those people asking for free shit at any event, regardless yeah, of if it's a zine fair. fest or regardless of the scale and the size. C2E2, I get like 12 or 15 people every other hour being like, hey, anything here free? Well, um, with C2E2, you're also dealing with thousands of people as opposed to like the hundreds sure, at a yeah. zine fest. Yeah, that's true. I, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it their audience is getting bigger and bigger too, so it's... Eh, I don't know. But it's weird, though, for people to come to that show and be like, because there are pla- there are literally places that do nothing but give away free shit. So then why are you going to Artist Alley asking for free shit? Exactly. Go get, go get free shit from fucking Geico. Why are you talking to me about this Yeah, right like, now? go get a stress ball that has the Image Comics eye on it. Like, get the fuck yeah. away from me. <laughs> like, why? Yeah. I don't understand Did you get that. a swag bag when you walked in? Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. This is the tenth anniversary know. of Zine Fest, right? Chicago Zine Fest. I think so. Maybe. Are they do? Are they doing like? Is it the same venue, the Plumbers Hall? Yeah, yeah. I they love are that. doing that. I event. love that venue, honestly. Space. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great venue for that event. I mean, I, I kind of wish they there's more events there, but uh, Chicago Zine Fest is really the only one like it that does that at that space. Plus, they bring um, around. Uh, well, I guess you like uh, pay for it when you pay your table fee, but they always have some kind of like dope vegan catering. That they'll bring by your table, which is always yeah. appreciative because, you know. Yeah, and they'll always have like a tr- like a food truck outside. Dude, the past uh, uh, so two you... years, I've hit it too late. They always sell out. Like, same, and by the time same. I can get away from my fucking table, they're like, oh, we're closing up and going home. And I'm like, fuck. But, yeah. you know. Well, you know what? This year, we will be prepared. We'll make food. This is something that I've been meaning to do that I always say in the back of my head. Oh, this year I'll be prepared. This year I'm going to have food and snacks and yada yada and drinks ready and coffee ready i never have fucking shit ready yeah by never the time that the concho or the, the event or tabling event shit starts so this year we'll hold each other accountable we i usually will... i usually make a trip to walgreens and just like buy trail mix that's usually what i bring to every well, show Well, i mean that's i mean it. even more than that we'll you know we'll like have sandwiches and like drinks and caffeine and stuff i think we should like uh, kind of force ourselves to do it and uh, by that i mean i want you to make me do all this stuff because i'm not going to otherwise well uh yeah we'll get a we'll bring a picnic this year yeah get cooler i mean shit man when i started c2e2 uh that was like the first con i ever did and, and the crew that i was doing it with they had like no joke uh like three coolers just full of booze fuck that's awesome. You know, like, yeah. Do you openly drink at cons? Uh, yes, yes, I do. The only thing I've ever drank is at SPX. I had a Truly once, oh, yeah. but you know, I don't. Uh, I don't know if I can. I didn't know if that was a bad look or not. So I guess in the future, I guess um, I can start drinking at cons. I couldn't tell you if it is or isn't. I I know that I don't care. 
one way or the other. Um, with C2E2, there's like, it, they don't care. Just, you know, you can openly drink as much as you want for the most part there. Um, well, yeah, actually, I take that back. They probably don't like it because they probably would prefer that you spend $12 for two ounces of shitty beer from, from their concessions. But, uh, you know, when I was doing it with that crew, they, nobody gave a shit. So I, I don't know. And it depends on the event. Like I know cake, uh, depending on who's volunteering that day, it can be a problem or, or, or it won't be a problem. Cause I remember this one time, this, uh, this one white girl came up to me while I was uh, drinking a beer and she like scolded me and told me that I needed to throw that away. So I just chugged it <laughs> and then threw the can out. You should have hit her with the stunner. Well, no, I just looked at her and then looked around at all the other tables that had people drinking behind their, their table. Oh. And then I just looked at her and then I just chugged the can. And I have not seen her at any of those events ever th uh, since then. Um, so hopefully, I don't know, she moved away or fucking got a hobby or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think her reasoning was, oh, there's like, um, it's a- Kids around? No, it's a community center. There's like uh, people with drinking issues or whatever. And I was just like, this fucking building's connected to a Whole Foods. I could go downstairs right the fuck now and buy a 30 rack. So I don't know what the hell you're talking about having, you know, no beer on the premise when you can literally just walk across the room and get beer. So I don't know what she was getting going on. I think, you know, some people just need to have some sort of fucking authority mode where they feel like they have control over some part of their meaningless lives, like me uh, doing comics and tricking myself into thinking that this is somehow some sort of valid form of expression. And I'm not actually just wasting my fucking life away. Uh, <laughs> spending <laughs> hours upon hours of just something that nobody's going to give a shit about. So I get it. I get it. You know, I get it. Um, yeah. So uh, before we go, I guess we should talk a little bit about some news that's comic related, right? Yeah, we should definitely, you know, get something out here. I've got something here. Um, so somewhat close to you in Oaklawn, Illinois, there's a comics chain called Chimera's Comics. And uh, this guy that owns the shop, he owns one or two other locations, but he is giving away the Oakland business for $25. Now, what the $25 is, is it's an entry fee and you have to write him an essay that's 500 words or less on why you believe that you should be able to take over this comic store and why you want to own a comic store. This guy is going to read all the essays and pick the winner. And whoever that winner is gets to get this entire comic store for $25. So he's basically stealing $25 from a bunch of dumb people. He's capping it at 2,000 people. So the most he can steal $25 from is 2,000 people. That's still a good chunk of change and probably enough to pay whatever he owes <laughs> to keep that store open. But then he just gives it to you. And, uh, you know, it's probably going to be some dude who... Uh, goes to his local shop every Wednesday and has like the uh, cute Deadpool shirt where it's like big head Deadpool digging through a bin and it says I have issues and like real twizzy handwriting. That's going to be who wins that shop. I hope so. And they're going to just, you know, stock all the Rob Liefeld variant covers that they can. The ones they have to pay $60 for because they only make like one for every 10,000 regular covers. Yeah, that whole, oh my God, all alternate you covers. Grift, the classic would fucking you throw, grift. Uh, would you throw $25 into the hat to own a comic store? No, absolutely not. Why would anybody do that? Why, why I would, would. Really? 
I would because what I would do is is I would you know if I won Shameful. in theory I would then just sell the building to Starbucks mm-hmm. oh and yeah flip sit it on my million dollars flip and then it. publish my own books and they could be like a hardback but now. are you so when you're buying the the comic shop are you buying the rights of the comic shop or are you also buying the building so the way it was phrased is you're getting the building and you're getting the inventory and you're getting the customer base and everything like that all the contacts it's kind of creepy he was like we built up a bunch of contacts over the past six years and we have a loyal customer base that have pull lists and you have all their information like the article i don't have it in front of me right now but it pretty much alluded to it already has a customer base that you have access to so i don't know if he's keeping intel on these customers well like, i mean hey, most most uh comic shops do have all that information on file well the pull list sure um well no not, yeah, I mean, not no, even I, that like you, you know whenever you buy something most shops will be like okay so what's your zip code or whatever and they'll put it in for like statistical data shit oh really yeah my yeah, shop yeah. is so archaic it doesn't do that it's been there since like the i don't even know the 90s and like they still run off the fucking drawer that like doesn't have a digital interface like it's just got 24 buttons on the register yeah i mean it definitely like, it probably depends on the, the the store and if it's part of a local chain or whatever but that's usually what i see yeah, I need to go to one of these new uh, stores that are going to ask me for all my information so I can get closer to Skynet. There you go. <laughs> Dude, have you seen, uh, you know, more comics news? Have you seen Rob Liefeld's new character, Major X? Uh, yeah. So somebody posted it in a group chat that I'm in with some other uh, comic artists. And uh, what was it? Oh, yeah. My buddy Aaron was like, oh, you know what, guys? I think um, the more I read Liefeld's run... Of, of books versus like Jim Lee's is I think Rob Liefeld uh, improved more as an artist. And then everybody in the group chat was just laughing hysterically because I mean, Jim Lee has not grown as an artist at all in the last like 25 years. We can all uh, agree on that. But when it comes to <laughs> Liefeld, like that dude is not, I, I don't, he's just still in the same weirdo space. And then they posted that, that cover of him with his foot or what I think is supposed to be a foot on Deadpool's face and it's like nothing adds up like the <laughs> like the 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 force perspective shit doesn't work cuz nothing lines up the right way and his foot is like more of a brick than a foot and it's like it's it's amazing like it's amazing from the standpoint of how bad everything is and that's why I, like I kind of love that guy just because it's so bad and he somehow is like financially one of the most successful comic artists of all times but he's such like a mark for himself on Twitter and like buries dude. his own fans. Yeah, he's positive, but he but also like, do you too. follow him on anything? I'd be positive too if I was literally just tumbling through the void and money just found its way into my pocket. You know? Dude, he just like dunks on all of his uh, fan base on Twitter though. Do you follow him on Twitter? No, no, I don't. Dude, it's worth it because like people will argue with him and he will just, I guess he's such like a Marvel purist that like he's just one of those guys that just has infinite amount of time all day. Because he's just rolling in money and doesn't have to work again. Sure. And his he'll just like entertain tweets like, could Batman beat Deadpool? Oh my God. And he will just argue. So basically he just and talks like, to people of the same level of intelligence as he is and just <laughs> bicker. Exactly. Who like, you know, found his dream job at like 16 years old and never mentally matured <laughs> past that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dude. And it's just like, it's so like. The design of Major X just looking just like fucking Boba Fett with like an X that he can see through. It's not even practical, first off. And then like going back to that variant cover you were talking about, there's like some text that's imposed on it. It's like 
Major X is coming soon. And it's like, are you having him? Are you trying to say that he's better than Deadpool? Is that why he's got a gun to Deadpool's head in this fucking image? Or, you know, are you trying to kill off your old character because you want this one to be more successful? He's just so delusional, but he has so much money that like it doesn't even matter to where it's just entertaining to me at this point. Like, I'm going to buy every single fucking issue of Major X when I'm at the comic store on Wednesday. Oh, man. Like every issue that comes out. Like I was reading about the story. And uh, it's called Existence, of course, you know, just an X because it's an X-Men book. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he's from a a parallel universe and he somehow comes into our world in 1991 and then fights his way to the present day. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) What more could you want? You know, this has Blockbuster written all over it. That's some highly relatable content right there. Dude, and you know it's going to be just like really shitty drawings of like cable that like you know, have just like the giant shoulder pads. I just love that he hasn't changed his style at all. Like going back to your group text, you know, there is no way that guy's evolved his art. He's probably, he probably drew it all 20 years ago and is just having modern colorists touch it up now. Yeah. I mean that he hasn't changed. He hasn't bothered to look at a human body and, and put that together. You know, like it's amazing that he just refuses outright refuses to acknowledge how space and 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 you know the human body works and proportions work and you know that that is kind of impressive you are right being- can you imagine and that's the thing he just doesn't give a fuck can you imagine being like but also an I, editor I think, at marvel i mean i think it's another thing too where like you know stylistically you can make those cho- choices there's a lot there's right. countless of really great artists who do a lot of weird stuff with proportion and and you know space and whatnot uh, but I don't think any of that is intentional with him. No, I think he just draws like how he draws. But I mean, right. like, imagine being that dude's editor, like that fucking Captain America cover that everybody knows. Like mm-hmm. somebody signed off on millions of copies of that to be printed. Well, that's and they're just like editors are notoriously stupid. Yeah. But I mean, dude, if you were an editor and you got, well, I wouldn't be fucking... an editor because they wouldn't hire me because I'm not an idiot. <laughs> Well, let's just say that you were an editor. Okay, so let's say that I'm a fucking idiot. Okay. (laughs) Okay, well, let's say that you're yourself. Um, You know, you somehow weaseled your way into thinking, making people think you were an idiot. But like Liefeld's fucking drawing comes across your desk of like Captain America with like six pecs. I'd be like, tight, add three more and we'll we'll, we'll print this. (laughs) That's another thing too, man. Maybe I should just like stop using my brain. Like just shut off all common sense or just any kind of like background voice in the back of my mind that's saying hey maybe don't do that i should just shut all that off and then i'll be successful probably so just go on autopilot and just do what everybody wants you to do not even not that. personally right but, yeah well you know. just yeah i mean i literally just not have any sort of like uh sense of like self-awareness or self-reflection in any way maybe even just remove object permanence where I just don't realize that if I don't see it anymore, that that doesn't mean it doesn't exist anymore. So maybe I just need to be a complete, just drooling moron, and that's how I'll make it in comics. Well, at least in mainstream comics. I I don't know about small press. I don't know how you get big in small press, to be honest. I have. I think uh, you gotta. I think the key to getting big in small press is just to. Uh... I think, honestly, I mean, the biggest people in small press, I feel like they came from kind of going back to what we were talking about. They come from like that L.A. scene of like doing cartoons, like the majority of people like in indie comics that like when a book comes out, it's like a big deal. 
usually they're not making many comics and that's why it's a big deal because they get their money from elsewhere like it's whether it's like commercial gigs doing covers for the fucking new yorker or you know like doing work i guess for the nib or even i don't even know if the nibs like super like big as far as like you know like the new yorker level or anything like no, that i wouldn't but, i wouldn't say that that's no. yeah it's but you know as far as like you know notoriety i mean i just feel like you're successful to be successful in indie comics you've got to pretty much be working for another bigger deal that's not indie comics so it's kind yeah. of just fucked up maybe it's like like lisa hannawalt for an example you know doing bojack now yeah. So when Lisa puts out a book for, you know, I think Drawn and Quarterly mm-hmm. handles her stuff like, you know, she's going to be able to get a decent royalty check. But I think it's because now they have an established career elsewhere to where them doing a comic is a much bigger deal, but it's still on the indie spectrum. Well, I mean, that leads to uh, sort of a larger conversation that I'm sure we will have multiple times on this show where we talk about like what is the what what how do you how do you gauge success in comics right and what what avenue is there to be successful other than the hopes of your shit getting adapted into something else that isn't a comic exactly like the best thing i think you can do in indie comics is what like get something from netflix like get a deal from yeah get a movie deal or a tv deal and it's basically saying the only way you'll be successful in comics is not doing comics exactly it's like (laughs) hey you had to i guess going back to earlier where i was talking about you know the reason why i got into comics was because it was like storyboarding fucking movies you know you have to sell your comic to be a fucking tv show or a movie to be successful so really you know, it's just this fucking catch 22. It's like, what am I doing this for? I'm doing this in hopes that I can make a living off of this. But the only way I'm going to make a living off of this is by not doing this, but using this as a platform to not do this. Yeah, I mean, it's really just about uh, paying your dues. Am I right, guys? Paying I've been your paying dues. my dues way too fucking long. Just I'm going to be paying dues when I'm 78 years old. I'm still going to be paying my dues. I'll be at SPX at 78. Like fucking bent over with an oxygen tank. All my line work is even shakier than it is now because I have like fucking arthritis and I'm still just hoping for that big break, man. Hoping to win a fucking brick. Yeah. The Ignatz Award is a fucking brick on a plank. Yeah, which is, I think, very emblematic of comics. Yeah, it's like this thing costs probably $8 to make. But, you know, one day you'll get successful and then you can yell at a child to hold your bag. And fist bump them instead. Oh, no. I mean, by then, there'll be something else that you have no idea because you're too old to understand what cool is anymore. <laughs> Just detached completely. Totally. I don't Just even know what cool out. is now. Yeah, I mean, we have a hard enough time in our 30s. You go into your 60s and 70s, man, like, everything is just so foreign and alien to you, and it scares you. And uh, you slowly but surely come to terms with the fact that, uh, you know, the world has moved on without you, and uh, you are slowly just going to fade into dust. And that's really the, that's the best outcome. That's the, (laughs) that is the best possible outcome in that situation. I'll probably, when I'm 60, just, uh, you know, pick up comics and just rip them up to shreds on YouTube and just say some outlandish shit. Just because at that point I'll be so out of touch. I'll be like, what is this? And I'll find some reason to get mad. I don't know. Maybe you can turn into a Starenko and just like fucking talk about, be be an alt-right fucking crazy person 
and talk about Mexicans and how they're ruining America or some shit. Let's hope it never gets there. But, you know, in uh, with Steranko, I've heard that he's always been a dick, even before he was an old man. I heard, like, that he was a dick. I read that, like, true of Marvel Comics book. Of course he was a dick. He was a magician. He was a- <laughs> Do you know anybody that has professionally been a magician and wasn't a total fucking dickhead? No. My brother is the only magician that I, like, really, really know. And he's Your not brother's a magician, a magician? anymore. Well, no. But, I mean, like, he practiced magic for probably, like, nine years. And oh, he's okay. a dick, though. Okay, well, then there you go. He's, yeah, he's still a dick. There you go. We're 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 magicians as comic artists because we uh, make our lifestyle seem uh, you know like an illusion because we're like, hey, we're at this table. But what people really don't see is that uh, we had to pay four hundred dollars to be at that table, and the only disappearing act is the fucking pit that all of our money falls into. Yeah, in in a sleight of hand, I'll show you how I made my will to live disappear. <laughs> Just a wave of the hand. <laughs> <laughs>